everybody. Welcome to Finding Love. I'm Nancy Bruce, and this is our second episode. And in our last episode, our Welcome to Finding Love episode, I was talking to you about what it means to find love in the middle of life and what it took for me to find love in the middle of life, the the mindset shift that I had to really undergo in order to find the true love of my life, David Bruce. And I'm 59 years old and I dated for more than 20 years. I got married two years ago to David. We got married in Cleveland, Ohio, my hometown. And actually we got married in my best friend, Kristen and Glenn's backyard. It was a wedding out of my 1980s rom-com dream. It was, you know, the big tent, the DJ, the dancing, all my friends, all my high school friends were there. It was such a blast. And the reason it was such a blast is because it was such a big love fest. I think that everybody there was just so happy for us that we that we found each other. It felt like we found each other against all odds. I mean, there is something that happens. Like I think when when you find love in your in your fifties, in the middle of life, I don't know, fifties, forties, sixties, who knows? But in the middle of life, where it feels like, wow, part of me did not think this was going to happen, and I think that everybody felt that way, you know. And they were so happy for us, and it was such a it was such a big celebration because it just felt like, who knew if that was going to be the happy ending I was going to get? You know, it, it was up in the air for a long time. Let's put it that way. But the thing I want to talk to you today is is how not to burn out when it comes to dating in the middle of life. And I think it's really, really easy to burn out. I think it's really easy to go on a few dates, two or three dates, three or four dates, and if they're disappointing encounters, just sort of giving up, throwing in the towel and giving up for maybe for a few months, maybe for a few years and just putting yourself on the bench. And here's what I have to say about that. You have to approach finding love like a project, like any other project in your life. You're trying to create something new in your life, something you don't have. You're trying to bring in something new, create it, manifest it, whatever word you want to use. You're trying to conjure up something brand new, something you don't have. And the only way to do that is to go about it with intention and with focus and with mindfulness. You know, I feel like we have just been sold a bill of goods, you know, in our culture. And that love is something that, you know, magically happens. And if it doesn't happen very naturally, like, you know, that thing that people tell you, well, it'll, it'll happen when you're not looking. Okay. Not true. In my experience, not true. Nothing happens when you're not trying. I mean, very few things happen without some effort, without some mindfulness, without some intention right? This notion that you're just supposed to open your eyes one day and the fairy godmother of love waves her magic wand. And before you know it, love has stumbled into your life. That really is not the reality for most of us, if not all of us. You approach it like anything else. When I was looking for love, when I really got clear with myself, this is what I want. I want to get married again. I want to have someone in my life. I want to live with someone. I want to have a husband. I want to grow old with someone. I want to have a partner. I want the two of us to be in this together. When I got really clear with myself, I did approach it like a project. And like any project, I developed some discipline around it. I developed some habits around it. I created a sense of, of a vision of my future that I wanted, and I moved toward that vision. So that is what I want to say. I, I think that we have been sold a little bit of a, of a false hope story that if it doesn't happen supernaturally, maybe it wasn't meant to be. And if you're telling yourself that story, 
believe me, I have been there. I told myself that story on and off for 22 years. Like, hey, listen, maybe this is, is this, I don't get this. I don't get a love story this time around. But then I got clear with myself and I approached it like a project and I did make it happen. And the truth is, and I said this before and I'll say it a million times, it is a numbers game. You are going to have to go on some dates that are not going to be great. You are going to have to meet some people that bore you or that simply just don't interest you or that aren't a good match for you. You're going to have to sit through some conversations that may be a little dull. And you know what? It's not the hardest thing in the world to do. When you realize what the stakes are, when you realize what is at stake, hey, listen, I want to find love. This is going to take some effort. This is going to take some work. A lot of women I meet in the middle of life have the same kind of energy of, you know, oh, dread and defeat. Oh, there are no good guys out there. Oh, I, you know, online dating apps are filled with creepy dudes. You know, no, I'm afraid of meeting the wrong person. I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. When you lead with fear, you have stopped yourself in your own tracks. When you lead with fear, that is the biggest self-sabotage there is. When you flip that script and lead with joy and lead with hopefulness and bring the energy and excitement to your dates that you want to receive back, and even if it's just good, kind-hearted energy, even if the date is doomed from the start and you're just nice about it and kind about it, and, and then you go home and you say, okay, chalk that up to a learning experience, it's better than getting bitter, than getting mad, than getting depressed or upset or sad keep the energy flowing in the direction of finding love, in the direction of hopefulness and lead with joy. That is that is the biggest takeaway that I want you to hear. Lead with joy. The way to prevent burnout is to have a really good strategy so that you can lead with joy and lead with energy. You know, you need to look at yourself and look at your life and say, you know, how do I do this? How do I make space in my life for dating men? for going on dating apps, for reading profiles, for answering emails, for answering text messages. Don't treat it like a chore. Don't treat it like something ugh, that you hate and have to do. Treat it like a project and you're going to carve out some time for it and you're going to have a strategy and approach that works for you. And maybe that means that you go on only one date a week. Maybe you go on three dates a week. Maybe you don't date more than two men at a time. Maybe you date four or five men at a time. And when I say date, I mean date. I don't mean, you know, sleeping around, even though if you want to do that, that's fine. But I'm just saying it's, that was a piece of advice that I got early on from Bella Gandhi. And it was very good advice. And Laura Berman as well, who I talked about in the last episode, that, you know, you want to approach this with a real sense of valuing yourself. And when you value yourself, in my opinion, you move slowly and you make your decisions based on the information you're getting over time. So you're not trying to jump into things too quickly because that's another form of self-sabotage, I think. The other way not to burn out is to be really clear about what I call boundaries and blocks. And so this is an interesting thing. And I this is something that I had to, this was part of my mindset shift, something I had to really get over when I started getting serious about wanting to find love in the middle of life. Boundaries, in my opinion, are the healthy things that we say to ourselves. I, I know for sure this is what I like and this is what I don't like. Boundaries are things that you honor all the time. You honor your own boundaries by saying who you are, by making clear what makes you comfortable, what, make, what makes you uncomfortable. 
that boundaries are aligned to your values, your your ethics, just the way that you move in the world. Those are those are healthy and those should be honored. Then we have things called blocks. And blocks come from a different place. Blocks often come from some kind of feeling in yourself that's wounded, some form of self-doubt, some form of fear, something maybe that happened to you as a kid. I'll tell you what my big block was and how I got over it. And thank goodness I did. My block was I was very convinced for most of my life, and I mean decades and decades and decades, that I had to date somebody who is much taller than I am. I'm six feet tall. So my opinion was that I had to date somebody, you know, six two, six three, six four, like someone tall. And what I used to say to myself was, oh, I want to be able to wear heels, which is hilarious because I do not wear heels. I am not comfortable wearing heels. No, thank you. I wear Birkenstocks and tennis shoes and loafers and sometimes boots. And that's it. So this notion that I wanted to go walking around in high heels was complete fabrication. It's just that when I was younger, because I was 5'11 or six feet tall in fifth grade, I was taller than all the boys in middle school and in high school. I was taller than all the teachers. I was taller than the high school football coach. So I was this super tall, kind of ungainly girl. And I never went to dances. Nobody ever invited me to homecoming or prom. I never went to after school dances in middle school because none of the boys wanted to dance with me. You know, people would always ask me to stand up so that they could measure themselves against me. Even adults would do this, stand up. And then they would like see how much taller than I was. And in summer camp, my nickname was Tree, which is really nice. So I grew up with this feeling of being awkward about my physical self. And what that translated to was I felt like the only way to feel attractive and feminine was to be with a guy who was much, much taller. And that is what I looked for. You know, I just really wanted that that feeling of being, you know, lovable and, you know, like the girls in high school who would wear their boyfriend's, you know, letterman jackets and just be all swallowed up in them and look so cute and adorable. Like that was never me. That was never going to be my story, but that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted that version of femininity. And so I would only go for guys who were, you know, six two, six three, six four, And what that meant was, of course, is that I was eliminating a huge portion of the male population because that is not that common to be that tall for men, as I think we all know. And so I was immediately, uh, right out of the gate, I was eliminating so many men, so many potential matches because I was convinced that I had to be the shorter one. And let me just be really clear. It's not that I think that men who aren't 6'2 and above are not handsome. I don't think that. I think that men are attractive at all sizes and shapes and sizes. It's that I didn't feel attractive with a man who is shorter than I was because of this block that I had from my childhood. So once I finally realized that about myself, I, I took a look at the stories I was telling myself and the, and the deals I was making my, with myself just to go on dates with tall guys. There was one guy, I'll tell you the story, about a man I dated in Los Angeles. And I mean, I did not date a lot of men in Los Angeles because <laughs> for probably many reasons, it was just not my demographic. But I did go on a few dates and I went on this date with this one guy and I was so enamored of him right off the bat because he was super duper tall. I think he was like 6'4", six, 6'5". And he was very handsome and very, very tall and this big, muscly, tall, handsome dude. 
and he took me to a comedy club. I remember this, which is a great date. I mean, I, I love going to comedy clubs. I love going to any kind of, you know, event like that where you can talk to each other and there's some enter- entertainment too. So that, you know, it, it's a great way to interact with someone because there's something that you're both watching and you have a chance to chat with each other as well. This guy spent the entire date looking around the room at everybody but me looking around the room to see if somebody famous was going to walk in, to see if a prettier woman was going to walk in, I'm assuming. He was just, even when he was talking to me, his eyes were scanning the room. And, you know, I realized the disservice I had done to myself, that what I was willing to give up in order to be with somebody just because they they met this one criteria that I had that was based on this fearful, you know, self-doubting block of I have to be with a taller guy because otherwise I just look like an Amazon and I feel really ungainly and unattractive. In order to be with a tall man, just and that was the only thing that he brought to the table was that he was tall, I was willing to feel like overlooked and like crap all night because he wasn't even looking at me and he wasn't talking to me and he wasn't noticing me and he did not care how I felt. And I went home from that day and I thought, wow, you know, was it worth it? Was his height worth it when you guys stood on the sidewalk and waited for your Ubers to pick you up? Was the fact that he was so tall, so much taller than you, was that worth having a lousy two hours? You know, I don't think so. And so that's that was the beginning of me chipping away at that block, just slowly but surely chipping away at it and and really looking at where it comes from. And, you know, I'm not that ungainly teenage girl anymore. I'm not that... 14-year-old who didn't get invited to the homecoming dance. I mean, I've grown since then, right? And I have healed a lot of different parts of myself. And that was just something I was holding on to for no good reason. And so, you know, thank goodness I got rid of it because number one, as I said before, it eliminates a lot of people to say, no, I I will date no one under 6'2". And also most guys, you know, think that they are taller than they are just, you know, PS, that's the truth too. And my husband is not taller than I am. He is in fact about an inch shorter than I am. And he will tell you that he's six feet tall. And that is not true. He is not six feet tall. He is 5'11". And who cares? You know, I mean, it's so funny to me now looking back and telling these stories because I cannot even imagine that mattering to either one of us now. We go out, sometimes I, every once in a while, I will, I'll wear a chunky heel boot, like who cares? I'm a bit taller than he is. Even in, in my tennis shoes, I'm a bit taller than he is. We don't care. It never comes up to, for either of us. He never cared. I mean, he thinks, you know, he loves everything about the way I look and tells me that all the time. And I don't care because I love everything about the way he looks and something as insignificant as a couple of inches of height would be a ridiculous reason to not have this huge love in my life. So I tell you these stories because I feel like when we get to the middle of life, we have to do a little assessment. There may be some things that you need to clear away, even as filled with self-awareness as you may be, even as enlightened as you may be, as much work on yourself and growth that you may have had. That's great. And I would have characterized myself that way too. But as recently as a a few years ago, when I was living in Los Angeles, I was going on dates with guys just because they were tall. So I did have to do a little self-inventory and say, okay, 
there are certain things that are still holding you back from the true love story that you want. And stop, you know, gaslighting yourself and putting yourself in situations with guys who you don't even like just because they fill this one criteria that you think you need. And for you, that criteria might be some something else. It might be, what kind of job does he have? Has he ever been married before? Does he have kids? Where does he live? What kind of car does he drive? You know, is he well-traveled? Is he well-read? There may be a bunch of different criteria this checklist that you might have in your mind about what your match looks like. And all I will tell you is when you're looking for love, it's a really good idea to be open to surprises, to be open to the mystery and the magic that love can bring into your life. Do not be so wedded to this package that you have in your mind about what this match for you will look like. Because believe me, on paper, I would never have thought that David Bruce and I would be such a perfect match. I mean, we're very different in many ways. He's a former professional hockey player. I do not know one thing about sports. And the poor guy tries to talk to me about sports and my eyes glaze over immediately. You know, we have different interests. We, we come from different places. But who cares? None of it matters because we're madly in love with each other. And so take a little moment and have some self-awareness about what might be holding you back, because that is going to also lead to burnout. When you don't check all the little boxes on your checklist and the dates that you're going on, you might say to yourself, never mind, there are no good guys out there. Well, you know, give it another chance and challenge yourself, challenge that checklist and give yourself some time and some space to develop some appreciation for people that you may not have considered might be true love matches for you. Dating is a numbers game and it's going to surprise you when you approach it with self-awareness and the sound strategy that it takes to get to that goal that you want. It's going to surprise you, the people that you meet along the way. Okay. That's all for right now. I can't wait to talk to you guys again. This is Finding Love and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>